Welcome to another episode here at the Midnight Founders Podcast. We're so excited to be with you today. This is AJ Rounds from Rev Road and Jake McCarg from CB Vault. Here at the Midnight Founders Podcast, we focus on telling behind the scenes stories for what makes a successful entrepreneur. We're excited for another week. Here we go. Welcome, John. Good to have you here. It's good to be here. Appreciate it. Yeah, this is cool. So, um, you know, we've been, we've been trying to get something on the calendar for a minute and we're glad you made it. Um, what we're wanting to do right now is hear a quick 30 minute, um, spill. 30 elevator. second, oh, not 30 minutes. 30 I can do second. 30, no, I'm sorry. We'll run second. out of time. Yes. <laughs> Let's go 30 second. Scratch that 30 second, uh, elevator pitch on what you're doing with Halo. That's right good. Now. I didn't bring my hand puppet. So we're not going to do 30 <laughs> minutes. Uh, yeah, you bet. Uh, Halo site, uh, is, um, a, an AI, uh, NLP, or natural language processing. Everyone's all excited about chat GPT, I'm sure. Mm -hmm. uh, we're riding in that same hot wave. It's a white hot space. Uh, we're built natively into Salesforce. Uh, if you think of your CRM, your back office, your system of record, about 90% of that data that's in there is conversational text between you and your customer. It's emails, texts, chats, case notes. And nobody uses it for anything. <laughs> it's kind of amazing. You get this fantastic quality. So like when I'll sit down with an executive and say, hey, if you could ask 400,000 of your customers last month what they cared about, what hurt, what went well, what they'd want to buy from you, would you like to know that? And they're like, well, yeah. And I said, well, you had 400,000 customers reach out to you last month and you ignored them. <laughs> and that's what we're doing with HaloSight. It's an NLP AI solution that installs right on Salesforce that can process email, text, chats, case notes along the customer journey, right? So think of the journey that customers go through all the touch points. We're looking at conversations that would affect sales, that would affect implement implementation, product development, road mapping, sales support, marketing. And we provide a unified data set that can be used for all of those aspects of the business. So the customer goes through all those stages, you're now able to have a unified set of data that's homogeneous for decision making. Qualitative data, quantitative data merged together right in your system of record. And so a dashboard essentially? Dashboards, yeah. but there's really kind of two ways. If you think mm -hmm. of uh, Bain's inner loop, outer loop kind of conversation. Okay. The outer loop is like kind of high level things where you're trying to get insights, you're trying to understand. So it'd be like, hey, what did the last 400,000 know, customers really want? What did they tell us? What were the issues going on with them? Well, you can glean from that some kind of insight and say, oh, when customers have this issue, this is their top thing. Great. That's nice for the lab coat folks to know. Who really should know? Well, you're 3,000 sales reps. So it's great to know that in aggregate at 400,000. Now we turn that down and using Salesforce, when you're on that record talking to that client and that same conversation comes up, we can now pop up, this is what we do in this situation and, and use that same conversational analysis. We call it journey AI right in flow. It's kind of cool. Wow. Yeah. It's really come a long ways. Impressive. Um, how did you like, how did you come up with the idea? Where did it come from? How did you land in this space? So my background, uh, uh, my last company I sold here about three and a half years ago was in Moment, a voice of the customer CX company. And we dealt with you know, uh, NLP. Uh, we did some natural language processing on survey data. So 
And I don't want to talk down to the CX space. I want to be very clear about this. This is an opportunity for the CX space to do better, let's say that. But we typically get about a 1% to 2% response rate mm-hmm. on surveys. Okay? So you're hearing from a pretty small subset of the, of, of, the, of the customers anyways. And then the conversation that you're actually capturing is a very narrow view of what the customers actually interact with your business. I've been a customer with XYZ for three years, and I answer one survey and type up two lines. Is that really my conversation I had with the business? It's not, right? It's really not. So it's, it's a fraction of a fraction, and then we use that to say this is what the customer feels. It's really small. It's not very detailed. It's not very good at problem solving or root cause analysis. It's just it's a very, very narrow niche. set of data. Yeah, very, very niche, niche. Okay. right? It's good yeah. at generating a score you know, called NPS or CSAT. Mm-hmm. Or, it's, it's good for that, right? But what we can do is say, all right, you, know, you, you had 100,000 customers call into your support desk last month. What's the number one pain customers are having with your product today? That's hard for anybody else to do. We do that every day. We say, the last 100,000 people, 30% of them talked about this. Oh, we already knew that. Yes, but you didn't know it was 30%. Do you know if it's increasing or decreasing? Do you know when it started? Well, that's the cool thing is we can go back through all that conversational data and say, here's when it began, here's when it started increasing, and here's when it started decreasing. The change you made in the code last month fixed the problem. Great. So from multiple touch points. Oh, so yeah. it's a more comprehensive set of Temporal data. analysis uh-huh. on, on, on any kind of problem. Fascinating. Understanding uh, you know, the customer. It's, it's truly empowering the voice of the customer to be used at every aspect of the business, right? Throughout your journey. If you really said, I know what the customer journey's experiences are, I know what friction moments are happening, what momentum moments are happening, then I can make decisions in each department. I can look at various different use cases. Um, one of our clients, G2, I don't know if you guys know them, they're an online review company for basically compete with Gartner. Uh, yeah, they're great. They Reason became a, a client of ours about six months ago. They're on their fifth expansion and in their fifth department with us. <laughs> Just keep expanding because they're saying, wow, that set of data, once everybody understands, I can use that to make decisions, I can look in aggregate. They have 30,000 customers. And they say, I now know what 30,000 customers think, feel, see, want, act, desire. Yeah, it makes decisions a lot easier. I I call it going from an anecdotal type decision making to a fact-based decision making. Yeah, it's fascinating. I think about like, it's almost like having an Apple watch on your business and Mm. you get all of the different metrics in real time instead of like, you know, it's just the time we live in with business and the amount of data that, that you can collect and have access to is just fascinating. Oh, yeah. And it's cool because there are a lot of tools to give you that data, but like you said, they're disparate. They're all over the place. Yeah. You can't see a big there's, dashboard. There's big good picture. tools out there. There's yeah. point-based solutions, which mm-hmm. is the typical NLP tools we hear of are point-based <laughs> solutions. So like Chorus and Gong, for example, right? They solve a problem for a specific place. But if you want to use that data that, say, Gong collected to help you in your product support team, it can't be used. It's very specific to the way it was analyzed. Um, one of our clients, a large re- box retailer that sells home improvement stuff, without getting the name, I don't have approval <laughs> to talk about them. It's either um, orange or blue, right? It's, it's one of those colors. <laughs> yeah. We're going to leave it clear at that. Um, but they have six different touch points in their customer journey, okay? Six different channels. And two of them are covered by point-based solutions, right? And so I asked the lady in charge, and I said, is it important for you to be able to analyze all of your different customer touch points? as an analysis, like for each department as they look at it. And she's like, well, most definitely, that would totally be a requirement. And I said, 
you're going to have to have one engine for all six of these. And she looked and says, oh, my gosh, you're right. How, how else are we supposed to have the homogeneity of decision-making, right? I can't have one set of data say one thing, and then that same set of data tell me something different because it's processed by someone else. That ability to row in a business consistently, right, making the same decisions, the right decisions together is so important. So that's really what we saw the problem when we first built this company. Spent three, you know, we've been in it three and a half years, but the first two and a half were R&D saying the problem is a whole set of problems. It's not just one department. It's all of the journey of the customer. And if we can get that data into one place with one view, every department's going to want to use it. Um, we just did this with uh, WGU, student journey, 50 different moments. Student journey is a lot longer, right? Retail journey is pretty defined, six to ten different kind of steps usually. Mm -hmm. Fifty different moments with WGU. And that is a real fascinating project we're doing with them to go through and analyze the student journey from onboarding, choosing a major, financial aid, passing classes, health problems, mental problems, anything else along the way, <laughs> to changing your major, to finally graduating. You know what I'm talking about. <laughs> it's really kind of cool. I, mean, I only changed my major three or four times. So you, oh, that's you, it, huh? you were on the, on the low side. You were on the yeah, low side. Yeah, that's it. Wow, that's amazing. <laughs> anyway, it's kind of cool stuff. And so that is cool. I, I f it feels very empowering, the kind of data, because business executives, department <clears throat> heads before this, they look at a few s small pieces of data and then have to take that anecdotal data and make a big leap to make a decision. Yeah, it's like a picture in a, vid a video. It's the difference, right? You're taking yeah. a snapshot in time normally, yeah. and it's who knows how oh, long yeah. ago, six months ago, nine months ago. Well, because we're in decisions. Salesforce, here's the wild things that start happening, combinations, right? Really, really quick, how did you, did you get that connection to Salesforce from InMoment? The InMoment A days? little bit. Uh, my like how did my that happen? CTO big... at InMoment, okay. Kurt Williams, I think he's come down and done some work with RevRoad mm -hmm. in the past. Mm -hmm. yeah. um, he was at Salesforce, and he and I had a conversation about this whole idea because he'd, he'd left in moment and gone to Salesforce. And um, that's kind of where the whole idea came from. He and I brainstormed on it and said, wow, what would it be like to have all the back office data plus all the conversational journey data in one system? Because then you go through and say, well, hey, this is happening to 10% of our customers. It's costing us $5 million a month, and we estimate it's a $50,000 fix. The data, the financials, the product, you know the customers it's affecting, you know everything. And now you're like, why would you be the person who would say no to that? And, and that's the interesting thing is facts make people move. In, in anecdotal data makes people do COIA and not make a decision. Right. So businesses move faster with facts than they do with you know, anecdotal stuff. And, and that's the part we're, we're excited about as we hop in and say, well, when do you want to start doing savings? We, we had a client who... I can't name them because I don't have permission, but um, with 5,900 stores and their sales reps at each of these places, we're saving them eight man hours every week. They're 20% more productive and they're able to do all the things they need to because we help them follow all the steps because we're automating them. We're using AI with Salesforce to augment this. So we're saving time and making it more efficient and making them smarter. So eight hours per person? Eight hours per person. Wow, that adds up week. fast, doesn't it? Oh yeah, it's twenty percent improvement in productivity. So it's like, how long does it take for pay for? So we're like, well, if you wanted to wait, you know, eight, you know, four months to sign this contract, it's going to cost you thirteen million dollars of lost productivity. So it adds up real quick. <laughs> yeah. 
It's a great. So Salesforce is a, is an enterprise kind of level solution. So are those the clients that you're typically working with or the kind of huge companies? They, they, they are, but we can work with small companies too. Um, you know, we're, we're talking with a bunch of Silicon Slope companies that are various in different sizes. So somewhere from a $30,000 deal up to a you know, $500,000 deal. So the kind of range. Salesforce tends to only bring us into two to three to $400,000 deals. And that's okay too. I don't mind that for today, but we, we, we can totally work with small businesses. We've worked with a bunch of small businesses. Um, Venify is one of our clients. Uh, nice in contact as a client of ours. All smaller contract sizes. Uh, YPO uh, is a client of ours. G2 is a smaller client of ours too. So those are all under $100,000 kind of deals with great opportunities. It's, it's amazing because we're leveraging the licenses they already spent on Salesforce. Our solution costs about a third of what an external one does. And because we're on system on record, we can do so much more than the external guys can. That, that's the cool part. Because if you're outside, you don't have access to the data we do. It's built in. Yeah. Yeah, that's great. It was, it was a big commit for us to build that way. It kind of shut off part of the world. We're in a little happy little kind of Salesforce Was that that system. first year and a half, the R&D well, phase? We made that decision. Mm. And it, it also meant a, a bigger build. I mean, there's, it's kind of... It's an albatross, you know, most sasses are albatrosses to get off the ground, but then they, they fly pretty well once they get off the ground. Yeah. <laughs> They're a go. little more sturdy. Yeah. That's cool, yeah. John. So, I mean, um, you talked about InMoment a little bit. Tell us yeah. more about the journey before that and then how you got into InMoment, and obviously that's kind of what's funding Halo's site right now, at least yeah. for the moment, right? Yeah. Um, you know, I... Were you always an entrepreneur? You know, I, I've, I've done a bunch of companies. I, I was not always an entrepreneur. Uh, but I kind of kicked myself thinking I should have started about six years sooner mm. when I was younger. My first company, I was 32, but I, I, I wish I would have started earlier. Maybe that's the thing I guess I put out to anybody else who's listening is, don't wait. I kept thinking, I need more experience. I need more of this or that to kind of get into it. And, and, and granted, it was a little easier that I was older and had that experience, but most of the stuff I've learned, I've learned by doing, as any entrepreneur will, right? So my advice would be don't, don't put it off. Do it sooner rather than later if you're really into it. Fail quick. Just go. Fail quick, fail fast. Everyone says the same thing. But I, that, for me, my advice was I, I wish I would have started sooner. Does that, does that mean that you had an idea sooner and you kind of just waited on that idea and you ended up like cashing in at 32? Or did you have other ideas that you were like, man, I wish I would have run with that one or – I, I'm, I'm going to be embarrassed to say that I didn't think of building a company until later because it wasn't on my radar screen. But it's not, I mean, I think that's actually true with a lot of people. They just don't think I can be an entrepreneur. So what were you doing before then? I was, you know, working for the man. Okay. In, in, <laughs> Making in, someone else a lot of money. In technology or yeah, what? in technology. Okay. I, I worked in a financial software company. Mm. Um, I, I rose through the ranks, became SVP of technology, as a business guy, kind of weird. Uh, so you had a business degree. SunGuard Data Systems, yeah. Uh, but I've, oh, technology has always been kind of my hobby, right? And I think it's important if you're going to build something that needs to be a passion you have. It, it can't just be because it's a good idea. It's gonna You're, you're going to hit too many you know, bad times that you're going to go, why am I doing this? <laughs> I have a friend who's in restaurants, and I'm always like, your life seems miserable. He goes, I love it. And I'm like, glad <laughs> <laughs> you do because, man, I look at it and I just go, I don't know what you do. Go so passion is so important. Yep, I mean, for sure. I know you guys hear that all the time, but I, I, I just, money is not enough to go through and go through the kind of things and difficulties you have as an entrepreneur. 
there's just a lot of work. And uh, I think I've, this time around, you know, don't mind me wandering here a little bit, I've got a lot of people that have worked for me for two, three different companies previous years. So um, it's, it's kind of a, a group of people that really know each other for two plus decades, right? Uh, a lot of them, almost all of them, uh, have come for some form of equity first play and uh, instead of salary first, right? And pretty much everybody out there, we work salary first and then we save bonus or something else. These people have, have been involved with me through a few different rides and they're like, I really want to have a wealth moment. You know, something different. And so uh, we, we said, well, let's structure the company differently. You know, let's, let's do it differently so that, that everybody can participate that way. And so uh, it's it placed a little bit different burden on me. Yeah. <laughs> I didn't realize at the time because these are my friends. These are people I vacation with. These are people I, I love and care for. And so, you know, they, they're getting my best for sure. Um, but I, I wasn't really expecting quite the extra pressure of that. Maybe it's just me putting it on myself. I don't know. I, th I think I feel the same way about raising money. Like when you raise money from people, you get that pressure, right? So there's there's different ways to structure your company. Um, and each of those bring different kind of pros, but they also bring different types of pressure. There's always something on the other end of the stick when you pick it up. For sure. That's right. <laughs> You're like, right. what did I get? You know, yeah. Mm -hmm. But the fact that you've got this like crew of people yeah. that you're continuing to work with i really love every time we interview people and they bring that up like it goes to show who you are and the people that are on your team who they are oh. like the fact that you've been successful and multiple times have been able to work with a the same team it, it just goes to show the type of person that you are and so i i really commend you for that, that that's what i was thinking too i mean that, that doesn't that shows that you're a leader right because yeah. they they want to be with you with whatever you're doing and they'll make it work well, and they'll also you. take the risk to do the equity play. I love play. that. It's, yeah, that's cool. It will, it, I'm with a group of owners, right? Yeah. I mean, it's just such a different, it's such a cool feel because each person is an owner in the business um, and, and we're kind of approaching that whole thing differently. And it's, it is, it is you know, when you're sitting there and saying, I need to be motivated, that's, it's, that's kind of a cool motivator because a lot of people who were doing companies during COVID, I mean, whew, it kind of delayed. It's not like anybody, if you happen to be in outdoors or like online, you know, video sharing or something, you're totally cool during COVID. But everybody else, if you had a new idea, it's kind of like, well, we'll find that interesting after we take our masks off. Right. <laughs> I don't know about anybody else saw that, but, and it was like across the deck. And we actually delayed launching because we're like, nobody's into something new right now. They, people are waiting. Yeah, it was and a, that was an interesting time. It's been really good since. Smart I don't move. know, March or April. I mean, it's. As of last year, things have really kind of taken off. But Good for you, John. That's cool. So you've got, uh, obviously, you talked about a little bit about how you've structured your company differently. There's also different ways to fund companies. And, and I know you're in the round right now where you're raising money. But you want to talk about that process? Sure, sure. Um, and why you're raising money. Yeah, I, I think the, you know, the why should drive the what, mm -hmm. right? So why am I raising money that's going to affect kind of the options that you have? Um, I think most people, uh, when they get to this phase of raising money, you know, right before an A, they, they're typically trying to go through and accelerate. They're trying to prove their model and then accelerate their model, right? And um, we're in that same phase too. We're like, wow, we found this new sales motion, uh, leveraging Salesforce as kind of our salesperson. Um, but going through and saying, how do we go through and grow the business? Um, a few ways, I guess, when I look at it and say, how do you raise money? You only have so much powder. I guess that's the first thing to say, is that you can only go to the well so many times 
before there's nothing left. <laughs> one of the companies I bought in my last deal, we, we acquired one of our competitors. And I was sitting down with the, the CEO. He and I become friends after the acquisition had gone down. And uh, he kind of opened up to me and started sharing, like, how much money he made, which was kind of, you know, I didn't ask. He just kind of came out and he was just... That's a really tight relationship. That's Yeah, good. and it was kind of like, and he goes through and he's kind of sharing with me, you know, how much money he made. And I was like, he said, I said, how much did you make? And I had to ask him to repeat it. And not to get too personal, so I'm not telling his name here, but he says, I made $160,000. And that was after 12 years running a business. Uh. And I'm like, what? And And this has always been like in my mind when I raise money now because... He goes, yeah, because of all the rounds we had and all the dilution we had and all the kind of kind of ratchets and everything else in there. By the time it was done, he got $160,000. And he was really moaning because he just got divorced, so he was, only, he was having to split it with his wife, his ex-wife. And he says, I'm only getting 80000 bucks," And I'm like, that is a bonus. That is not what you spend 12 years and really make crazy sacrifices to build a company. That's you sad. don't do that for $80,000. No, that's sad. It's like a nightmare. So I leave that in the back. I don't. I bring that up not as don't raise money. I bring that up as Rumpelstiltskin will take his own if you're not smart. So there's great companies out there. I, I'm actually presenting to Rev Road here in 30 minutes to raise money. So it's a great thing to do. Um, there are options for you. Uh, you know, I'm actually looking at using both a debt option and an actual equity option. In this case, we're, we're between the proving it and heading out to a big Series A, and um, I know people that are out there right now raising money. It's the multiples are hard. They really are. Uh, I happen to be in the NLP AI space, and our multiples have stayed up. Like literally, if anything, they're going up. It's it's nice. That's not everybody. I got yeah. plenty of friends that are having down rounds, cram downs, everything else. Everything else I want to say, and what I well they they come and ask me what what should I do, and I'm like, don't raise money. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> wait revenues. Wait, you know, punch like, your revenues. You know, punch your revenues. Cut your yeah. costs. Figure out anything else you can do. Hold on. Hold your breath. You know, I mean, there's a lot of things there, but that's I, kind of the thoughts. I, I love think, that. Oh, I'm sorry. I was just gonna say, I think it's hard because we've been in a time for like the last couple of years where, where the multiples have been so crazy. Yeah. That like it's coming back, it's ratcheted back down to what it was normally. Like, oh yeah. You know, so it, it feels terrible, but. If you look at it in the grand scheme of things, it's not terrible. It's just back to what it was normally. Yeah, it's just it's just if your business started with a high multiple, yeah. and <laughs> it's now hard. you're coming yeah. in, that's hard. Yeah. Like my last company got valued at <laughs> fifty million, and now you're going to value me at fifteen. Yeah, I mean, yeah. no, there's a lot of truth to that. Well, you, I, you started off this road. I, I call it the Wiley Coyote series, right? Wiley Coyote can actually run up clouds of uh, stair clouds, right? It's only when he stops that he'll fall. And that's a lot of these companies that have been run, raising money and running it that way is they've been running on clouds made, uh, you know, stairs made of clouds. And it's when they stop that they fall. And that's the problem is if, if that chain ever stops, which this is going to be a stop. I hate to say it. We're going to see companies fail. because It's a good this. visual. I like yeah. that visual. You know, and that's, <clears throat> I love that you brought that story up about the CEO you're sitting with, right? Because yeah. um, it's a problem. It's a, it's a big problem even here in Utah in this oh, area, yeah. right? Um, and, and that's one of the reasons that, um, and, and not to get too much into this on the podcast, but that's why Rev Road exists in part is so that we can help protect those founders from doing that unknowingly a lot of times, right? And uh, help them keep control of their company and keep all that equity for them or their internal team. A 
not only an away. investor, I'm a client too. That's right. And I'm not talking about hair products. John, <laughs> John's a huge fan. We love John over at Rev Road. That's right. No, I love I love what Rev Road does. Um, I, I I love volunteering my time for you guys. We appreciate it. And so much. Um, it's it's pretty cool to be able to go through and say, how do we help out? You know, a beginning founder. You know, first time around is yeah. is, a, is a good piece there. And and now that Rev Road's added in their VC side, you've got it for Rev Road Capital. Yep. Rev Road Capital. Yeah. Uh, for people like me. So exciting. Serial entrepreneurs. So exciting. Very cool. So John, then going back to your journey. So then you, you got into um, the entrepreneur space at 32. Mm -hmm. What were some of the companies you started and how did that lead to in moment? Yeah. So uh, in moment, actually uh, we started off as Mindshare and then mm -hmm. we went through and bought up another competitor and then we changed the name to in moment. So that company was 17 years. That was quite the journey. Okay. It was a bootstrap company to start with, uh, only later brought on money for, um, when we made the acquisition. So first nine years was bootstrap. So wow. yeah, we started it up on, you know, gum wrappers. <laughs> Duct like, tape, right? It was really cool. It was pretty hard in the, those first days. I think we had $450,000 of money scraped together from you know, banging pots and pans and stuff from everybody. <laughs> so I built the whole company. That's amazing. And then, um, <clears throat> what is your family? How has your family played in your role of, you know, the success journey you've been on? Yeah. You need the support from home. I mean, I think people can have their family lives torn apart, um, if they're not. Um, and so, you know, for me, you know, when we started up uh, in moment, which was first time named Mindshare, um, my wife was you know, working from home, uh, taking a, a phone calls uh, for an adoption agency. And that was the only money we had for two years. And so yeah, that's how we lived. <laughs> it wasn't a lot of money. She so was like eight twenty five an hour, something my wife was making. And, and that paid, sort of paid the bills. You know, you just got to be careful. Wow. So, you know, I think I, I don't. That's I, incredible. You know, and then you go out and have a company that sells for, you know, hundreds of millions of dollars. And you're kind of like, well, I can, I can afford to pay the bills finally. But those, it's a long tail, right? And not everybody's built for the long tail. Ten-year overnight success is what yeah. we say on this show exactly. a lot. Isn't that exciting? Look at that. And everyone's like, oh, that's just unfair how you did that. I'm like, well, I don't know about that. <laughs> it's a whole lot of work. <laughs> uh, and, and there's and any entrepreneur you look at it, there's a lot of hard work that went into it. Cool. So That's the whole premise of the show, The Midnight Founder, is that you know, you're doing things as an entrepreneur behind the scenes that no one sees. Like you're you're you have all that weight on your shoulders you have all that pressure and everybody says it's an overnight success but it was 17 years it's not <laughs> like know. it happened on day one right yeah. so you've <clears throat> congratulations on that by the way yeah you know, well that's done. Uh, being able to take it from bootstrapping to you know a large exit like that isn't Huge common yeah. yeah yeah so congratulations but um over your career obviously you're 20 plus years in now with the, I can do the math between the two. Uh, you've probably seen a lot of, uh, a lot of things. You've learned a lot of hard lessons. What is a piece of advice that you would give to an entrepreneur that's just getting started today or is in the throes of it with their company? You know, you, you need to, um, one, come prepared, right? I mean, if you have the passion, if you're willing to make the sacrifice, I know that sounds kind of corny on that stuff, but it's it's not going to be easy. Don't, don't think it's going to be easy. Um, you have some people around there who are willing to help hold up those weary arms. <laughs> it's going to be hard. Um, doing it alone, whew, I just don't know how some individuals do it. It's good to have a group of people that can support you. I've been lucky. I've got a group of people that I, I've done this with, you know, with and had a chance to build companies with, and that's that's pretty fun. 
It makes it a different type of experience that way. Um, you know, I'd say definitely do it, though. It's totally worth it. There's not enough people becoming entrepreneurs. Uh, there's too many that are scared away from it. And you do not need to be a genius. I am not a genius. <laughs> I didn't shake the imagination. Nor was Steve Jobs, frankly. Everyone thinks he's a genius. No, he's a guy who's willing to take risks. So what do you need to be an entrepreneur? Be passionate about something and be willing to take a risk. That's the core formula right there. Everything else is just try, try, try. Run to that wall as many times until it falls down. And, and that makes a good entrepreneur. Surround yourself with experts that actually do know the stuff. And if you're passionate, you can find experts that, do, that know it better than you. I always have experts who know it much better than me around me. Uh, I'm passionate about it, but I'm also dogged determined. And I think that's important for people. It's, it, it's amazing how many companies out there succeed because someone just failed to give up. The grit that Rev Road always talks about. I love that. Yeah. Great advice, John. I mean, through your through your years and through this journey, I'm sure you've had these near, not death moments, but these <laughs> near moments where you're like, oh, no, we're going to implode, or or I don't know, some employee. Oh, yeah. I don't know. Tell us the craziest thing that's happened to you in this, in this yeah, uh, I mean, experience. With, with, with in moment, we had a lot more of those. I mean, we were bootstrapped, right? And we'd gone through and, and raised um, half a million dollars from three angels, and... Um, they, they had the ability to just send us uh, tranches, right? And uh, the first tranche was $250,000, and, we and we had that money for three months, right? And we were expecting the next tranche at the fourth month. And while we hadn't hit all of our targets, we were you know, starting to grow the business and some things were happening. And they said, you know, because we actually hadn't the exact target that was in the, our, our papers, they had the right at that point in time to not send the next tranche. They said, we're not going to send the next tranche, but we will if we reevaluate the valuation at this point in time. And they wanted to basically change it by like two and a half times or something, right? Mm. So basically, it's just kind of like, wow, just why are we doing this? And, and that's a question you have to ask yourself. At some point in time, am I just going to do this for someone else? And at that point in time, you might as well just get a job because it's a lot less risky, frankly. If that's And so you, you're trading off this, how much equity am I giving up to be able to do it? A good close friend, he's going through this right now, and and I said, you know, how much is it worth to you, you know, and just go through that thought process. And I sit on his board, and I and he goes, I said, if you don't want to do it, don't go raise the money right now. Wait, so then when you can do it when it's better, right? Because you only have so much powder to work with. So those those are those those tough trade offs that you get into. So it. did you tell them to walk? What did you do? So we did. We told those angel investors. I actually, what I did is I, there were 10 employees, uh, and I felt like this wasn't, I didn't want a group think because people get together and hear a few people say something, and they all just kind of follow, get kind of chicken, stand out. Individual interviews, I said, what do you want to do? Do you want to take that money? They're willing to give it to us, or do you want to walk? All 10 of them said, walk. I don't want that money because it changes the equation too much. So we had $8,000 in the bank, not enough to do make payroll, and all 10 of us went without pay for the next eight, nine months. Wow. And I was already going without pay, so I didn't feel like I could ask them or anything. I just, and uh, you know, so that was kind of a cool moment. And then we won a contract with Great Clips for $1 million. And they asked us, and they said, is it okay if we paid you all up front for the full year? No, we would Please hate that. Please, no. No, like, <laughs> do not do that. <laughs> so we were able to finally start payroll and everything else, and we just kind of went off the races after that. Got a bunch of other enterprise deals, and... And uh, we kept track of all the back pay. Uh, we didn't. 
we didn't put it on the books because it's just that looks you know it's hard to face but we did keep track of it and then we went and paid everybody back as we became as became profitable and that was a real fun day when we paid back the last bit of money that had been back paid for people it's kind of cool oh that's so fun what a celebration yeah well um I don't know. I mean, this has been an incredible time, John. Yeah. What, um, I mean, um, you've, you've had so many experiences and done so many cool things. Um, what's next for you with Halo site and anything else you're doing? This is kind of fun new ground for a bunch of us, uh, working with some really big organizations. It's been fun to go in and, and beat out competitors that are multi-billion dollar companies and because they're built wrong, right? It's kind of fun. To look and say, wow, I think we really took the time. We built this company right. This, we believe it's a Sasquatch. Sounds like you took the time to understand the market and right. the customer you're serving. Is that right? We really spent the time. We, we, we pre-built. We, we spent a lot of time in R&D, building out a much more complex solution, kind of a larger albatross, right? And uh, we, we've, I've, I've, I say it jokingly, but Sasquatch, S-A-A-S, <laughs> Sasquatch. <laughs> Um, That's good. That, you so trademark that, John. Trademark, know, trademark's has. <laughs> we're believers here. We believe in the in, in the ultimate, uh, uh, you know, hide and seek champion, uh, the Sasquatch, which we believe we're going to catch one. Uh, that's kind of where we're at. Mm-hmm. That's cool. Um, okay, how do listeners find you? Find your company, um, like LinkedIn. Yep, on LinkedIn, uh, John R. Sperry. That's my so slash John R. Sperry. And uh, for those that are interested, we, we, we're, we're looking to grow our implementation, uh, sales engineer, and our CX departments. That's what we're raising money for. We're not raising money for sales. We're raising money for implementation. Uh, we've got to handle the, the deals that are coming our way. Uh, so kind of a different reason for a raise makes it a little easier to kind of go after it that way, too. So I'm seeing a big now hiring sign right across your forehead. Now hiring. And <laughs> yeah, you know, and we've got so many people who are owners and everyone saying, you know what, we it's it's interesting. Everyone kind of scrubs over each other down. They're like this tight knit family. They're like, well, if we let someone in, you know, they need to be part of the team here. Mm-hmm. And, and that's what we're looking for. We're looking for people that want to be part of that same kind of vision, that same kind of passion. Good. Uh, and, and there's a lot of sight, a lot of excitement. So we're excited. Good. Find that. If you want to get us, if you're on Salesforce, find us the Salesforce App Exchange. Or ask your Salesforce AE about us, and chances are they've heard about us. Cool. Very cool. Well, it was good to get to know you more. Um, you know, we've crossed paths a little bit, but yeah. it was fun to hear the story. And usually we end the episode with uh, anything that you wanted to talk about and didn't we didn't get into in the podcast. So the floor is yours. If you have anything you want to add at the end, uh, take it away. I Just, just a, a pitch out to anybody who's thinking about doing something, go and do it. Go, go really garage it first, right? That's the thing I'd say. Don't go get money. Go garage the idea. You know, really try to go through and get it to some kind of close enough that people get it, right? That you can explain it in under 30 seconds and people get it and they're not like, I don't understand what you're talking about. So you can go through and, and actually try that idea out and then see if people, it's a value that people are willing to, to actually buy. And if you can get a few Lighthouse customers, that's what I like to call them, people that believe that early, even before we built the product, well, then it's worth it to go for it. Uh, just don't go take an idea to somebody to get money. Uh, take them something that you've worked through in the garage and you have a prototype that's, you know, that you can see will be viable. I mean, not all, of, all the parts to it, but you can see that it's viable at that point in time. 
Cool. Cool. Thanks, Sean. Good luck. Yeah. Take care. Thanks, guys. The Midnight Founders Podcast is a podcast about entrepreneurship that is hosted by CB Vault and Rev Road. CB Vault is the entrepreneur arm of Central Bank. And Rev Road is a venture services firm where companies come to grow. Thanks for listening to us. You can find us on Apple Podcasts and Spotify, wherever you listen to your podcasts. This is AJ and Jake signing out.